Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, this is the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Ugo Che. I hope you're having some great time celebrating the winter holidays with your friends and family, and that you're gearing up for a new year of interesting travel challenges. My guest for the last podcast of the year will be Mitchell Kanashkevich. Mitchell is a travel documentary photographer and a published author with Craft & Vision. He has an outstanding capability to capture the human element of disappearing traditions and ancient cultures, from villagers of Eastern Europe to tribesmen of a remote Ethiopian valley to sulfur miners in an Indonesian volcano. So I hope you will appreciate my conversation with Mitchell Kanashkevich. And if you like the podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes. That helps a lot with getting more visibility. Thanks for listening and happy start of 2016. It feels a bit awkward to uh, introduce myself. I don't know. I guess I just see myself as someone who likes to travel uh and and take pictures i like to sort of keep things simple you know my career um i suppose it began around now around 10 years ago i feel you know kind of old now because i was already 25 then and i'm yeah almost 35 now so it began about 10 years ago uh when I, initially i was actually doing film and then i sort of uh felt like it wasn't uh going anywhere and i decided that I, I just want to be a professional photographer. So I went off to, uh, to Southeast Asia, to India, uh, actually. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, I started shooting. I think that's what happens with a lot of people. They go for some trip, and then they come back, and they think that they're photographers. But that's basically something that, that happened with me. Um, of course, I don't think that I was really a, a photographer as such after my first trip, but I think the seed was really planted on that trip and uh, I think that I only grew from there you know like that, that sort of the bug had bitten me um, then and then I just uh, kept traveling kept sort of uh, growing as a photographer uh, sending my things uh, my, my photos off to magazines uh, back then to Lonely Planet Image Library that was actually the original plan that I said okay I'm going to be a photographer for, for Lonely Planet and um yeah, the first after the first trip, things didn't really work out. They basically told me, "Look, uh, you've got some potential, but this there's not enough here." And I sort of uh, persisted, and uh, yeah, and in the end, got there. Um, since then, since that sort of 2005, there have been some struggles, of course, as there are for for many people who are starting out. But uh, my theory has always been that you have to create a body of work, and then. Uh, you know, basically, you work for your images, and that you then you let your images work for you. So that's sort of always been my theory, and uh, that's kind of happened with me. You know, I thought that if I create a solid enough body of work, then things will kind of come my way. And um, with social media, obviously, with the internet, it was still not as as big as it is now. But in some way, it was good because I was one of the early adopters of certain things 
um, yeah, things just sort of started to come my way, and uh, I've focused purely on photography since since 2005. So, would you say that you uh, you need to put your work in front of buyers in in that respect, or did social media play such a big role that nowadays you can just uh, publish stuff and let the buyers come to you? Uh, I think back then it was. It was a little bit like that. It wasn't, I don't really even know if you could call it social media, you know, the way that it is now. But there were a few websites where uh, you could place your images. And then uh, I guess back then photographs weren't uh, as devalued as, as they have become. And so I remember uh, one of the um, ways that I thought it's actually possible to make a living from this uh, was when I received an email from from a designer asking for one of my images to be used for book cover. And so back then it was something like 700 euro uh, for this book cover. Uh, and my image had just been placed on a, on a website called PBase. I don't know if it still exists, but uh, it seems that people, certain people used to be discovered there, or at least, you know, certain people would discover their images and, and give them an opportunity to make an in income. So I thought, isn't this great? Um, you know, I didn't really have to do much apart from taking the picture and placing it on the website. And, and then someone approached me and I, and I made money from doing exactly what I love, you know. Uh, so I guess that was, you know, social media in its, in its early stages in, in some sense because it was uh, sort of like a forum. Now, you know, as far as social media now, uh, it, it's sometimes a little bit hard to measure whether someone actually contacts you because of social media, but I do think that it, it does play a big role. I I have had a few things uh, sold to magazines, I think, as a direct result of social media, and uh, I guess it depends what you what you classify as social media. You know, if blogging is part of it, then I think certainly it does play a um, huge role in, in the sense that sometimes you just have to put something out there and then you know, eventually, if you've got something good, uh, you will you will be contacted by someone. Although I don't necessarily recommend someone to just to only put their work out there and then and then hope to be contacted. I, I recommend people to be a bit more proactive than that. Yeah, that that sounds like a, a common story. At least uh, sounds familiar to me in that I was uh, had some images online and then some, somebody discovered me. And asked for uh, to, to buy some of my photos for a magazine and, and some books and so on. And I said, "Oh, I've made it. Oh, now I'm famous. I'll be successful." And then, <laughs> and then that was that was it. I mean, yeah, nobody yeah, else came knocking to, to my door, and I had to, to start really sending out uh, emails to, to people, contacting and. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, there's nothing. Um, I think that a lot of people, especially, uh, I mean, I get a lot of emails from people asking me how to go about, I suppose, you know, making an income with photography. I feel that making income is, is the question that comes after you've actually created a body of work in photography. But, you know, once you do that, certainly just hoping to for people to find you isn't going to work. I mean, when I think back on what I was doing, uh, I was really sort of knocking on different doors, trying to see ways to, to actually make a, a living from it, you know. So I would call... Uh, various photo editors, um, you know, various magazine editors, um, and and just sort of try to get my work to make sure that my work was really in front of them. Because 
um, quite often the problem is that these people are just inundated with, with hundreds of emails and they don't have uh, time to answer every one of them. Now, if you actually call them to make sure that they got it, uh, you're already separating yourself from, you know, from a hundred other uh, potential uh, photographers. So uh, that's what I would do. I'd call them up and say, hey, did you receive my email? And I think that people sort of uh, feel a little bit more guilty to, to just tell you to to go away on the phone. So they would actually look at the at the work and uh, because I think I was sending them pretty solid stuff. They liked it and then, you know, they contacted me and, and from, from there we kind of uh, – for instance, with Geographical UK, we went on to a few publications after that. Then later on, the editor would actually be um, contacting me and asking me if I've got anything new. So I got this suggestion from more than a couple of people uh, telling me that nowadays the uh, magazine editors are looking for stories and they are uh, tight on budget and they really would love to to get ideas and also to get some text to go with, with images to have at least a, maybe not a finished article but some some starting point so not just uh, you should just not submit images but also submit images with some text and, and in this respect I was reading the other day this uh, uh, this blog post by a photographer called uh, Jens Lennartson about uh, well the title of the post was why every travel photographer should carry a notebook and this made me Uh, started made me think that uh, it's important the, the importance of writing and uh, maybe you as a as a book author also might have something to say about this how it, important is writing for a travel photographer when images maybe do not speak for themselves sure uh well firstly i guess i wouldn't really call myself a, a book author it's it's ebooks which are i i think they're hardly uh the same sort of thing as a as a novel or or a non-fiction book of of other types but uh, i do certainly think that um i don't know about a notebook that's that sort of sounds to me um a little bit you know from from last century i guess we've got telephones now and um actually what i used to do is uh, i would record uh, vo voice notes about certain things i found that a little bit more convenient than than you know having to uh type the things out on the on the um uh phone uh so i do that yes i think that the importance of taking notes is is certainly is certainly there um you know sometimes if i do have a lot of time i i use evernote uh on my on my phone and then i'll just take uh down certain ideas that i've got and then it syncs to the to the laptop and i can work those ideas further but as far as uh, just taking notes in the field i think the voice uh, recording works uh, quite well and uh, you know as far as your question about editors wanting some text uh, in my cases i i think writing um is something that i i like to do but i think that to do it well i need a lot of time so i feel like okay i'm, I'm selling you the images um you know i don't have the time to uh to to write a whole article or something like that so whatever text i usually provide is pretty minimal you know like for instance again with with someone like geographical uh they just wanted captions and then their um their people Uh, their writers would actually, uh, I don't know, they'd do their research and they'd add on to that, you know. Um, and something like uh, the Lonely Planet magazine, uh, they would do an interview with me 
and then they make an article from that. So I really prefer um, that way of working for myself just because I, I feel like if I've put all the time to get those images, that's sort of, uh, you know, that's sort of enough uh, unless, again, there's going to be uh, a separate fee for the writing, you know. Um, yeah, I, I do know that some some people, uh, some magazines are asking for that, but I don't think it's it's that fair, and I suppose I'm still in a situation where uh, I don't really have to. Uh, uh, I don't really have to do that, you know. I don't really have mm-hmm. to uh, follow that sort of uh, structure. Yeah, I see. Maybe it's because you all, you already have, as you were saying before, um, a great body of work that speaks for itself. Well, so. I also think that you know, we, photographers are not necessarily all going to be decent writers, you know. So. And, and I think that some of the bigger magazines, they realize that, and that's why they keep it also pretty, uh, you know, the, the writing that they ask us to do pretty simple, just like captions, and th- then they expand on it, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, you, you can't really quite often be the jack of all trades and be very good at all of them, you know. That's the way that I feel. So, uh, you know, I, I still have this sort of theory that if you want to be really, really, like you know, fantastic at something, uh, you should focus on that something. Although you could say that photography and writing kind of can go hand in hand. Um, I think that there are probably not that many people that do both of those things equally well. Well, I would still recommend, as you said, taking notes. Uh, also, because, no, certainly. Uh, certainly. So yeah. some, some people, uh, I, I don't take enough notes probably because I tend to trust my memory. Too much, probably. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Then sometimes I get back home and I say, where did I take this photo? And yeah, you know, if you submit you that to somebody and you don't know where it was taken, what it is about, it's uh, it's probably a bit harder to sell. And, and if you Yeah, have a- people certainly ask for that. They certainly do ask for that information. And I mean, they, they almost, let's say that they almost expect you to, to have it. You know, they almost expect to be able to know maybe not the name of the person but the but the story behind the image and certainly the location and things like that you know of course the more you can provide the more they can include in their article or uh you know whatever they're doing but uh, i think it's it's almost an expected thing so definitely carrying you know if you want a notebook i don't do note the notebook because i've got too much other stuff in my bag but uh the phone is very convenient for that speaking of uh portfolio and, uh, and and places you've been to to a number of uh, countries and, and places uh, in the world that can just list uh, uh, Africa and Ethiopia especially uh, Indonesia Eastern Europe which is where you are from uh, India Vanuatu Turkey and other places is there any yep. any particular place that you would like to go to again or maybe that you haven't visited that is in on your bucket list and you would really love to to visit yeah uh certainly there are a lot of places that i still want to visit i don't really um the whole bucket list thing i, I don't know it's it's a little bit silly i think but um yeah I, I there are certainly some places that i want to uh explore you know i haven't been to south america or central america at all and i learned spanish uh throughout university so Thankfully, I got to uh, use it when I spent a considerable amount of uh, of time in Spain. Uh, but I would really love to just immerse myself uh, in a Spanish-speaking uh, culture. So I think that 
I've been planning a trip to South America for a very long time, but something always seems to uh, to come on the way, or, or you know, or I find something closer to to where I am. And but I think it's going to happen soon. So I think pretty much all of South America, I'd really love to explore uh, with my own vehicle. Um, then places I keep coming back to, uh, I think. Um, I kind of joke that all roads uh, lead back to India uh, because it seems that my life has sort of worked out that way. Um, so India is certainly one of my favorite places. I think it's uh, it almost feels – I don't know if it feels like a home, but it feels like um, you know coming back to, to, to family because I have uh, uh, some very close friends there and I feel that this is really where I kind of put myself on the map as a photographer. Um, so, you know, that, that will always hold a special place for me. You know, there are a lot of personal connections as well. And of course, India is the sort of uh, country, which is really not even like a country. It's like a, it's like a different planet, you could say, or at least many different countries in one that you can keep exploring it probably for, for longer than, than one, you know, for longer than one lifetime. You could say so. Yeah, I'd say that that's a place that I definitely love coming back to. I, I've certainly liked many of the places that I've that I've traveled to, but I think India is is like the one that still captivates me. A few years ago, I was uh, I was planning a trip to Indonesia, and I mm -hmm. I was on the Craft and Vision uh, uh, newsletter, and I found out that they had published this book of yours about the Java Island. Um, was especially yep. captivated by the, the images of the. I hope it, I'm pronouncing the name correctly, uh, Kawaijan, yeah, which yeah. is a volcano on the eastern part of Java, where. Um, well, it, if you wanted to to say a few words about Kawaijan, why is it so unique, and what's the, the peculiarity of that place? I think that would be interesting. Yeah, um, it's a it's a live volcanic crater. Uh, Kawa actually means uh, crater, and uh, it, it's a place where um, I'd say what hundreds of, of people of men uh, mine sulfur with uh, pretty much nothing more than than their bare hands and sometimes some metal rod. Um, there's a process uh, that sort of happens there. The water come uh, sorry, not the water. The the sulfur uh, fumes they come through. Um, ceramic pipes that have been made there and then they come out on the other end and they harden as they as they sort of drip from these pipes um, and they and they form these sorts of slabs of, of sulfur which um, are collected by the by the miners put into these little bamboo baskets uh, which are incredibly uncomfortable to carry because the way that you carry them they're just joined by a a bamboo stick Uh, between two baskets, uh, but the weight of these baskets can exceed 100 kilos in some cases. So uh, I suppose the sight of, of a sulfur miner with that basket over the shoulder is something that's become um, quite famous. Uh, the first time that I found out about this place was uh, actually in a movie called The Working Man's Death, which is an incredible documentary film, one of my favorite <clears throat> documentary films that I've seen. And, uh, you know, I really felt like, like I was there and I was, and that's the place sort of, uh, stayed with me, stayed in my mind. But then I, I sort of forgot about 
Kauai agent, and I heard about it later from other travelers. They kept uh, – I sometimes show my pictures to new friends that I make in, in hotels or guest houses or wherever. And then some, some guys that had traveled there, they told me you have to go to Kauai agent. And then once I uh, you know, I Googled it, I realized, oh, that's the place which I saw in the film. So, yeah, I um, – you know, I, I finally ended up going there. I rented a little motorcycle from from a, from a place in Bali, and then I rode all the way to East Java with my wife. Um, and we spent a few days there. I befriended one of these sulfur miners. Um, probably ended up spending at least a week, uh, probably a little bit more than a week in the region with this with this guy. And I, I guess I got a bit of an insight into into the world of these guys, of the sulfur miners. They turned out to be uh, sometimes quite particular characters, you know, quite uh, – you would think that someone doing probably one of the hardest jobs there is, you'd think that they'd be pretty miserable, but uh, – you know they'd poke fun at each other all the time. Sometimes they'd sing songs as they as they uh, went up this uh, incredibly steep uh, path. And uh, yeah, there was just this uh, uh, really strong sort of sense of of uh, human spirit, I guess. Uh, yeah, just triumphing over the most uh, ridiculously hard uh, circumstances. So I think the title of your ebook was uh, "Journey Through Java." Is that right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I would recommend it to to anyone. It's uh, it's really Thanks. inspiring. Speaking of something completely different, um, another thing that made me get your ebooks again and again was uh, the masterful, I would say, use of light, and uh, I think what is I think especially is natural light in your portraits that is so so captivating. Uh, can you maybe tell us a bit about how you you use light because that's something that many photographers do not pay enough attention to, in my opinion. So uh, can you just uh, give us a bit tips, techniques that you employ in the field? Um, I don't know if uh, if I can sort of um, give any techniques off the top of my head, anything specific, but I will say that um, in general, <clears throat> the way that I approach light, I suppose, is is what's really important. And I approach it as... Uh, basically as a tool uh, for storytelling, you know. So certain people, or, or for communicating, basically, for communicating visually, I think that certain people uh, oversimplify it a lot. You know, um, people say that don't shoot in this kind of light. Don't shoot in, in you know, during, during the middle of the day. Don't shoot if it's uh, very flat or it's you know you're not going to produce anything interesting and myself i used to believe that when i just started out but then i i started experimenting and i realized wow you know you can shoot in the middle of the day it's just going to give uh, your um your image the the or the characters that are in your image it's going to give a different feel to the scene so for instance if you're shooting in harsh light uh you you might want to um if, or rather if you're in a very harsh environment i don't know maybe even something like kawaiijin uh, and you want to really accentuate this harshness, um, you know, the way that uh, the sun sort of bleaches all the colors. In that case, the, the middle of the daylight, that harsh light might actually be the one which is quite appropriate. You know, you don't want to beautify everything because uh, what's the point of beautifying um, a scene when you what you really want to communicate is not how beautiful it is but how hard 
and how harsh the environment is. So I think that it's it's really what's really important is just to look at uh, at light that way, you know, to look at it more as something that can assist us in in communicating visually rather than, you know, this sort of dogmatic approach where it's just, you know, you just make something beautiful or you don't. And you only shoot at sunrise and sunset and don't do anything else. Yeah, I guess that that also would make mean wasting a lot of time just to say, okay, yeah, you don't shoot in the middle of the day and then, I mean, you travel to... You take a motorbike from Bali to Kawaii and stay there for a week and so on. And it's not an easy place to reach. At least it was not an easy place to reach. And then uh, uh, spend the midday just in your hotel room or wherever you're staying. Just, oh, we'll just wait for the sunset to, to get a good yeah. light. It's, uh, in my opinion, at least, it's basically a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I say, it's, uh, it's not only a waste of time, but it's your sort of if you're shooting that at sunset, you're basically communicating sometimes or you're drawing attention to the wrong thing mm-hmm. if you want to. Uh, if, in my case, I wanted to show how how hard you know the, the lives of these guys were, how uh, difficult their journey was. Certainly, it's good to mix in that beauty, you know, to show the beautiful side of things. I'm, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be done, but I think that, you know, th- there is more to the world than just the pretty... Uh, sites, you know, than the postcard images, uh, and and I think that some people, I guess, miss that because they think that sunrise and sunset are the only times mm-hmm. to photograph. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another one of your books is about post-processing. Uh, the title mm-hmm. is Understanding Post-Processing, and this can be, I know, can be a touchy subject. Uh, the other day was the uh, in the news. Uh, Reuters asked their reporters not to oh, submit right, yeah. uh, uh, raw images, only submit JPEG images because they are less likely to be tampered with. And I mean, we're talking travel photography, we're not talking pure journalism, photojournalism and reportage, but still, you're doing some, some kind of reportage work. So do you have uh, opinions about uh, post-processing, <coughs> the ethics of it, how how much Certainly. should you post-process your travel images if you should post-process them at all? Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, look, I think that post-processing, it's sort of, to me, it's not a matter of uh, if you do it, it's a matter of how how well you do it. You know, I do think it's that if you are shooting raw, then you're sort of not ending up with the final product, so to say, just with that raw image. Uh, I do feel that the cameras, because of the shortcomings, they still do have their shortcomings, although things are getting better each year. You know, you're getting more dynamic range, but you still can't exactly uh, make the image which, you know, which is close to, I suppose, in my case, you know, I feel that it should be close to how I see uh, the scene, you know, with my eyes and my mind. And I think, obviously, it's very subjective, but I think, also, that a part of the power of post-processing is that you can uh, you can sort of uh, express your vision of the world uh, in a more powerful manner thanks to post-processing. Um, so that might be, you know, giving the the picture a little bit of of I don't know if you'd call it your style or how you want to call it, but. It should be done in a, in my opinion, in a fairly subtle manner. You know, I'm not a big fan of this uh, over-the-top, um, I don't know, really ridiculously contrasty or oversaturated uh, um, 
imagery after that. In my opinion, it's in poor taste and uh, same same thing sort of for for the really uh, horrendous looking HDR images. Um, now, as as far as the the ethical sort of limits, uh, just a second, I'll get some water. <clears throat> yeah, as far as the ethical limits of what I think we're sort of permitted to do in post processing. Uh, I think that a lot of the photo contests that do have uh, what I'd say is a pretty in, a, a pretty um, acceptable way for me of, of uh, approaching post-processing. They basically say if you add or take anything out of the image which is not cropped, then you know it's sort of disqualified. And I mean, obviously, in travel photography, it, it all depends on where your final image is, is going to. So if, if, if it's a commercial um, project, uh, Someone might not care if you cropped out some distracting element from from the image. That's fine, you know. Um, if it's more of a documentary uh, approach or a documentary, you know, aim, then certainly I don't think that it's uh, it's ethical to just crop. Th- uh, sorry, to clone things out or or put something. Certainly not putting anything in, you know. Um, mm. uh, yeah. So that's that's basically that. It's a very simple. Um, uh, approach. I think that once you start breaching those uh, uh, rules, uh, then you're, I guess it's it, it's still a valid sort of uh, way of creating imagery. I just don't think it's necessarily photography as such. You know, you're sort of looking into into com- uh, composite uh, imagery and stuff like that. It, I think it just starts to become a different uh, a different genre. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think we had some really great conversation here today lots of uh, inputs from you so i would like to to thank you for for your time today um and if you would like to to let people know where they can find you online i suppose the best place is uh, mitchellkphotos.com um just all in one word i'll probably direct that domain to my new website but i think yeah, mitchellkphotos.com is is the best uh is the best place to find me on. That's yeah. and that leads to everything else. We'll, we'll put Facebook. a link. We'll put a link in the show notes so people can go and, sure. and find. Sure. Okay. You thank there. you. Okay. So thanks again. Uh, Not a have problem. A, have a nice day. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.